Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., Securities Dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. Common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a lot of things to, I mean, a huge lineup, just a major lineup of things to talk about. Because we have Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau is going to take us to scam school. But prior to that, we've got savage strategies for your health savings account. That's going to be Michael Powell and Scott Jordan's going to lead us out. We're talking about an investment strategy and resetting for the second quarter. Now, coming up in the latter part of the show, too, we've got a special segment. Our producer, Maximilian, is going to do Money Talks. And this is the richest characters in history. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think you're going to find it to be give you a smile for the rest of the day. But first and foremost, Scott, you know, it's, it's difficult when you've looked at your first quarter. Well, the market cooperated, so your portfolio should be up. But you can be frustrated. And today, if you listen to a headline at 8 o'clock in the morning, you can his- listen to the opposite headline by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, right. and it confuses you. So it does. It does. I think it's important for us to give some insight into what we call just a reset to a money strategy, just thinking through what we consider to be very important for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and boy, you bring up an excellent point. It's been a volatile several last several years in the market have been very volatile so it's it's been hard on investors uh we had a had a period there where we didn't experience a lot of volatility and then all of a sudden we did although volatility is very normal for the market it's never fun when you're it's going never fun it. we have to build resistance to it i mean it's like you know whether you like it or not the more you experience it the more you do become resistant to it but it's difficult today with the the way we get our news today and so rapid and so fast and so contradictory, sometimes it's uh, very difficult to stay focused on what you're trying to do financially. It's easy to get distracted and get off of your long-term goals based on headlines and media. You know, and we hit on this a lot just with it coming at us so much, with it, whether it's through the phone or through, you know, surfing things on the Internet. There's just so much information out there, and it's easy to get distracted off of your long-term goals and get off of your plan. One of the, you know, I always say when, when you look at an investment strategy, whatever it is, people fail really for three reasons. First, they have unrealistic expectations. They, you know, maybe they've been uh, conditioned to think the market always goes up. They're not going to have to go through any volatility. They can time in and out of the market. So unrealistic expectations. But then they don't, don't have guiding principles is that second that second one. And that's, you know, we always talk about the asset allocation, diversification, and rebalancing just those time-tested principles that, you know, help investors be successful over the long term. And they also operate without a plan. They don't understand that why of why they're investing. They haven't sat down and really articulated those long-term goals and created an investment strategy that has a high probability of helping them hit those goals. So well, those, those three things is, are critical. That's so critical, so critical. I know we tell people, you know, that diversification asset allocations are fundamental, but reminding you that asset allocation or diversification guarantees against loss. It's just simply a method used to manage risk. And managing risk is something that 
really is a part of anybody's investment strategy. Let me ask you this. We talk about this a lot. The emotional investor, yep. that's just the nature of the beast. It is. And, you know, it's it's easy to sit here and say, oh, don't get emotional because we say things like that all the time. But it's it's almost impossible not to get emotional as an investor because, you know, when we look at the money we've put back, our net worth, money we're saving, that is for some type of goal, whether it's financial independence, maybe we're going to buy a new home down the road or educate our kids. But we're saving for a reason. And when, when that gets threatened through some of that volatility in the market, it's it's hard not to get a little bit emotional about that. You, but, know, you, you talk about, you said the reason, you've called yeah, it the why. The why, yeah. That, that's so critical. It is. And, you know, it it seems so basic and so simple. But, you know, when you if you're just investing money and you're kind of in this mindset, of I just want to see this money grow, I want to see my pile of money grow. I think those types of investors fall prey to the emotions the easiest, because when you can sit down and clearly articulate your long term goals and those can be quantified, we can come up with a number we're trying to hit. And then we can work backwards and go, okay, how much do we need to save to hit that goal? What type of rate of return do we need to be aiming for in order to hit that goal? And when you can put a long-term in plan, long-term plan in place like that, uh, that will that goes a long way toward helping you avoid those emotional pitfalls. That's a great point. You talk about five fundamentals, and I kind of thought that's something I'd like for people to just get today. Is that understanding those five fundamentals? As that kind of that reset of here it is, April. Okay, and now we're in the second quarter. And if you look at back and saying, well, I didn't do what I needed to do. I was going to do this. I didn't do that. And all those things like that are problems and things like that. You know, it's, it's an issue. And I, I just think this is a time to kind of reset your strategy, reset your fundamentals, and make sure that you know your why. You talked about that. But really, and, and, and just doing some things very, very basic. And these are basics, and really we're kind of focusing back on the cash flow issue when we're looking back at these. And, you know, the the markets we have no control over. The macro economy we really have no control over. We can control how we react to that. But I think it's also important these times to reset and get back focused on the things that we can control. And and so let's talk about just basic cash flow principles. Number one, spend less than you earn. Again, that sounds very simple, but that is the the key. You know, whatever your long-term goal is, you have to save money in order to hit that goal. So that starts with spending less than you earn. Absolutely. That's uh, something that so many people, you think you're doing that. Right. But I was talking to somebody recently, and I just said, would you give me an idea what your miscellaneous spending? <laughs> and, it, and he went, he was, you know, like, I don't have a clue. Right. And I said, what I want you right. to do is go home and just kind of over the next month, you know, work on your miscellaneous spending. And he came, called me the other day and he said, I cannot do this. It's very depressing. Because he was, <laughs> he said, I, he didn't realize it. He was saying, right. you know, he'd have $100 in his pocket, you know, you know, in the morning and just go on. He said, and I couldn't tell you where I was spending it. So and we all do that. We all do I mean, it, that, that's why I tell people to track their spending. You right. know, look back and track it over a period of time. And usually you want to get a full year of tracking in there because there's a lot of big expenses that come up that may not be part of the monthly cash flow that you really don't think about when you're thinking about that quote unquote budget. I know yeah. people hate that B word, but uh, I usually call it a spending plan. Spending it's a little plan. more, a little more tolerable, better. you know, it's a little more proactive. Yeah, right. But, exactly. Okay. Um, so spend less than your fund. Fundamental number one. Number two. The second one is avoid the use of debt. You know, I know, you know, for a lot of purchases, especially like a home or maybe in a, even an automobile, there's it's it's hard to avoid debt. But whenever you can, avoid the use of debt. Debt always mortgages your future. 
it's going to sentence you to a lower lifestyle in the future because you're going to have to commit future cash flow to pay that debt back down. And it's a lot easier to get into debt than it is to get out. So avoid or, or maybe I'll use the word minimize the use of debt. We talk about the borrower becomes the servant of the lender. Absolutely. That's a biblical principle. And the, the, the reality to it is, sure, maybe you're buying a house. Maybe you've got to, you just manage it. You, you don't try to overbuy, you right. know, do your managing of that. But you mentioned the car, you know, sometimes just setting aside enough money that you can, you know, not have a huge debt. Absolutely. I mean, cars have gotten so expensive. I mean, I'm I've talked you. to people five, six-year loans for cars. Yeah, and so I, think, I think that's that. going to probably have to grow if these things keep going up for a while. We'll be financing exactly. them for 10 yeah, years. And so, so. You, you know, you have to be disciplined, yep. but avoiding the use of debt at all costs. And what we really try to help people understand, a lot of that's credit cards. It can be. It can be. And, and, and I think... You know, when we're sitting down to uh, create a strategy for someone uh, to hit their long-term goals, that that's going to be one of the first things we attack is is getting out of that high interest debt or that short-term debt. Well, that's so critical. Number yep. four. Build or number margin. three, excuse me, number, number three. Number three is build margin or liquidity. Now, again, if you're spending less than you earn, you're going to be building that margin or liquidity. But what we want to do first is create an emergency-style fund, you know, something that's short-term in nature, you know, no penalties for accessing it, no no loss of principal for accessing it. So that's going to be things like savings accounts or CDs. So step one is let's get some money put aside to handle those emergencies so we don't have to rely on debt, so we don't have to attack maybe investments that we put back for our long-term goals. Let's build some liquidity. Let's build some margin into the plan so that, that we can handle those unexpected life events that you can absolutely expect. You know, we are talking with Scott Jordan. I want to remind you, if you got questions for us, you can send them to J-I-M, Jim, at 901-683-0989. Questions uh, that we will get on the air. I mean, we do our best to do that. And you can also go to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. You can find our Talk Money at, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. We'd like for you to listen to it, subscribe to the podcast, and we appreciate it so much when you do. we like for you to be a part of us and part of our family, and we enjoy the fact that you ask questions that we can come back and, and help people understand. We're resetting uh, your plan, your strategy, and what you're trying to get done. And it's so hard sometimes when you're behind or you thought you would do this and now doing it. And so we're trying to encourage people to say, okay, take a Saturday. Take a day that you have the free time and go back and look at these five fundamentals. Spend less than you earn. Are you doing that? Scott calls it not a budget, but a what, Scott? Spending plan. Spending plan. I like it. Avoid the use of debt. Build liquidity. And you talked about this a few minutes ago, but what's number four? Set long-term goals. And, and again, this is key. That's the only way to prioritize your cash flow or prioritize your spending is to set those long-term goals. That, for, that provides that direction and purpose you need. Uh, helps you clarify your thinking around where you want your cash flow to go. And, and goals are the mean, long-term goals, I think, are the means of effective decision-making. It helps you uh, not let the short-term crowd out what you ultimately want to accomplish. It so controls emotions. It does. It? it absolutely does. You talked about the why a while ago yep. when we were talking about emotions. And that's so. And following the herd, you get caught yes. up in that mindset of what they're doing. And you say, wait a minute, that's not my long-term strategy. I heard right. somebody the other day said, I calculated what it, if I'd have bought the 10 best at the, in January of 2018, the 10 best stocks and the 10 worst stocks. Well, the reality, I like what he was thinking. He actually ended up showing me that he'd got a return, and I don't know exactly, but a positive return over buying the 10 best and the 10 worst. But I think what I'm listening to him as he's talking about it, and the reality is he understood that not everything's going to be 
perfect. Right. It's right. not. And so he was thinking mindset, 10 best, 10 worst, understanding that's a portfolio. It could happen to anybody. But he ended up with those, with that strategy. He said, yeah, it was a calculation. Yeah. And again, past performance is never a future right. indication of what performance is going to look like. But he was thinking. And I like that. That was a good idea. Absolutely. And, and you know, you go, it, I think that all, all these exercises looking back and trying to trying to look at, you know, buying the 10 best, 10 worst and all that. Again, when you set those long-term goals, we, we talked about this, but those can be quantified and then you can establish a reasonable portfolio that gives you a high prob- probability of hitting those goals. That's good. We always preach diversification. Again, that's no guarantee of future results and doesn't guarantee against loss, but you know, having diversification is just one of those principles that helps helps with the achievement of those long-term goals. You know, and what you're doing by resetting here, or we are in the second quarter of 2023, resetting, and it gives you a chance to be a better steward. And what I like about your fifth goal here, your fifth fundamental, is reality of allowing a person to have the freedom to use their money in a way that maybe they haven't felt like they've been able, that freedom of access, that freedom of enjoyment of saying, this is what God's entrusted me with, I'm a steward of it, and I'm managing it, and now I can do something with it. What's that fifth one? Give generously. Now, and a lot of times when we talk about these principles, that one may seem a little counterintuitive. We're trying to save money and hit goals. Now, why are we giving money away? But I strongly believe that most money problems start out as heart problems and giving generously is just a way to calibrate your mindset that money's a tool it's not it's not the end goal in life is not to accumulate a bunch of money that is a tool to help us accomplish the things that we value most and giving generously uh, apart from being a biblical principle right. which i so follow right, uh, i think it just calibrates your heart in the right direction around money and helps Take that, you know, a lot of times we put money in a place where it never should be. It should not be our ultimate security or our ultimate goal. And by giving, that helps you really, you know, sit down and think about that and go, okay, this is a tool. I'm called to be a steward of it. I'm going to give some of this away. You know, I like the fact that reality is it's that mindset of, I've said this before many, many times, when we give generously, it's an outward indication of a heart condition. Absolutely. And that's what we want to see is that heart condition. So I appreciate it. You know, Better Business Bureau... Uh, Daniel Irwin's going to take us to Scam School. I can't wait. And when he does in the second half of the program, he's going to talk about some things that we need to be sensitive around giving generously. And I so much appreciate we've covered as a fundamental, covered as something extremely important. But he's going to tell us, Scott, I mean, uh, Daniel, what are you going to talk about about this? Well, unfortunately, when we experience a tragedy, that's an opportunity for scammers, right? Yes. They see tragedy as a uh, as an opportunity. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, when our mind is is where it needs to be, when we're recovering from from horrific things like shootings and tornadoes that we've experienced, um, that that's a time when when we're vulnerable. And so um, uh, bad actors and scammers, they look for those times and they exploit those. And so we're targeted as a society and as a as a as a well i mean as a group we're targeted right you know after a tragedy so there's just things to think about all right that's coming up in the second half of the program that that is going to be spot on especially since we've talked about it as being a fundamental now you know with daniel's going to help us make sure that we're not making mistakes and i thank you for that daniel we're going to dive into that in the second half of the program as we always do when we go to scam school I mean, you know. Always one of my favorite uh, segments. Absolutely one of my favorite segments. And he's going to talk about, you know, that problem, charitable giving after natural disasters. And I tell you, he's just loaded because there's going to be another one about storm damage. 
you probably know somebody or you personally have been affected by storm damage. What do you look for when it comes to the skim that's possible part of that? So stay with us. We don't want to miss that part of the program. But now let me introduce Michael Powell. Michael Powell is also a financial guy at the office and uh, has a lot of people he works with and does a lot of work when it comes to a health savings plan, a health savings account. And so I've asked him to talk about some of those strategies of if you happen to have a health savings account at work, what are some of the things you want to do? Welcome to the program, Michael. Good morning, Jim. Well, sir, let me ask you this. I mean, health insurance options, I don't know whether maybe Greek or... Latin, maybe? Latin might be more confusing, but health care is right up there in the top three. It's insane. It's, it's, <laughs> it really is. That's exactly right. So... When you get an employee and they're overwhelmed by all the things they're going and talking about, especially if it's during enrollment, open enrollment, but now they've got to think about what they're doing. they got a high-deductible plan. I want you to kind of clarify, what are some of these high-deductible health plans? What's going on? And it sounds kind of like intimidating. Help me understand what we can do when he talks about a health savings account. Okay, great. So with health savings accounts, you've probably heard that many times and you see it on your open enrollment forms or packets that employers offer that as something you can take out of your payroll and directly deposit money in a health savings account. But you do have to have a specific health insurance plan in order to be in an HSA. And that is a high deductible health plan, HDHP for short. But um, there's usually two options, PPO, which is preferred provider organization and the HDHP. But mainly, the, the key difference is, is that you have a much more higher deductible in the HD, HDHP, plus your premium is a lot cheaper for that plan. Okay, so when you talk about an HDHP, mm-hmm. is, how do I know that that's right for me to do that? I mean, it's a common question a lot of people ask, and, you know, it's not always, it's, always, it's difficult. It, yes, it is. It, it is really situation by situation. I think if you're a young person you know, below 40 and you don't go to the doctor all that much besides just a routine checkup for all those different things, then I think it's a perfect fit because you're saving money on your premiums, which is more money in your pocket. Like Scott was talking about, you spend less and you make more, but also, um, it's a, it's a situational basis when you have maybe somebody who in your family has a ton of health issues. They go to the doctor frequently. They're on a bunch of medications, maybe they're diabetic and they have a lot of expenses and they meet their deductible very easily. And that is a big difference in the two. But if you are young, healthy, or you're a pretty relatively uh, good spender or good saver, I think an HDHP is the way to go. All right. You're saying HDHP. All right. Give me the difference between an HSA and an FSA. Because, I mean, that's a... Glad you asked that because that gets confusing. That's the Greek part of it. It's the confusing part. FSA is flexible spending account. And then we have health savings account. You can be in an FSA regardless of what type of health insurance plan you're on. But really the difference is, is that a flexible spending account is I can put money into it up to a certain limit, which in 2023, it's $3,050. Doesn't matter if you're a single person or if you have a family plan. And an HSA, the contribution limit is $3,850 for yourself if you're only on that plan or if you're single. And it's seven thousand seven fifty for family, so I can put a whole lot more in. But both are tax deductible off of your income. If I put that money in, so I could deduct it off my income for the year I put it in. But the big difference, Jim, is that the flexible spending account has a feature called use it or lose it. 
And what I mean by that is you have a balance at the, if you're putting money in every year, you actually have to either forfeit unused expenses or you have to carry over a minimum of 610 to the following year. All right. That's what I want to come back. Those things like that. And you've got some strategies that really lay down some things that are very, very important. If you just tuned in, my guest is Michael Powell. We're talking about strategies for a health savings account. He's going to talk more about that coming up in just a few minutes after our break. If you have questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M. That's 901-683-0989. Or you can send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. I want to remind you, if you missed part of the program and you want to come back and listen to it on a podcast, you can find our show, Talk Money, at, at either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a part of the family. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Daniel Irwin or the Better Business Bureau. The views and opinions expressed are those of Daniel Irwin only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. HSA distributions taken after age 65 are not penalized. They do not have to be used for medical expenses. However, the funds will be taxed as ordinary income if used for other purposes than qualified medical expenses. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening, of course, to Talk Money. My guest, Michael Powell. We're talking about strategies for your health savings account. We talked about earlier that health insurance options are confusion, confusing. And I mean, this bottom line is it can get all so messed up that sometimes you don't do anything. So all I've asked is for Michael to go through some possibilities for you. Because knowing what an HSA or an FSA is all about can really make a financial difference when you're accumulating money for health needs or even as you go through this whole process, just having that extra ability to set money aside. Now, Michael, you were doing a great job when we were talking about some of these contributions and how much you can contribute. But now, I guess I was kind of wanting to make sure I understood something. In an FSA account, Mm -hmm. it's use it. Or lose it. Correct. So that's, I, I struggle with that. If I don't use it. I have to give it up. I have to give it up. But now, I can keep $610 okay. for the following year. Okay. But it doesn't really give me much flexibility throughout no, the year. No, it doesn't. No pun intended. But, no, right. You know, flexible spending well, account. Yeah, it's right. flexible during the year. But you, like you got people going to Walgreens or Walmart at the end of the year just trying to burn money out of that. Yeah. But HSAs, Jim, do not have that carryover. You can actually use as much as you want or as little as you want. And, and that's where the strategies that I'm going to talk about right. really come into Let's play. Let's go through those real quickly because those are critical. Go with me, number one. It, you know, the whole point is you're saving a strategy to use your HSA. Yes. And okay. number one, I'll tell you, is none of this is possible without saving your receipts. you got to be a stickler on saving your health expense receipts. And I'm not talking about the Walgreens trip where you're just going to go buy toothpaste and 
uh, deodorant or something like that. Like the little expensive. I'm talking the bigger ones. Like my wife has astigmatism and her contacts are like super expensive. Okay. So I'm saving that receipt because I can use that money. Even if I spend it on my credit card, I can reimburse myself with my HSA. I don't have to directly use it because HSAs come with a debit card typically. Wow. And so do the FSAs. But the strategy I'm going to give you though is don't spend money out of your HSA. Let it build, but keep up with your receipts. And the reason why is because once I get to a certain limit in my HSA, most of the plans that are available to you have an investment feature. And this is where the tax advantages come in. When I put money in an HSA, I get tax deductions. If I invest my HSA, usually it's about $1,000 I got to keep in the cash balance, but I can open up basically a mutual fund or brokerage account inside of my HSA and invest the money. And all the profits and gains and interest in that is tax deferred like a 401k. And I can use the profits on health related expenses later. Does that ever go away? I mean, if I'm if I've got my when you talk about my HSA going into an account and now it's I'm going to stick a number out here five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Is it is it my money or is is anybody ever going to be able to capture that money? Is that I'm now going to retire? Is that still going to go with me in my retirement? It does still go with you in retirement. Here's the only key, Jim, is that when you turn sixty five. Be sure that if you are on an HSA or putting money in, you have to stop it once you sign up for Medicare. Okay. So you can utilize this strategy as long as you want. Even past 65, as long as you haven't turned on Medicare, you can still plug in money to that. But if I change health insurance plans and I can't put money in HSA, that money's not gone. It's still my money. I can use it. But the main point of that is, is that if I can spend money out of my normal expenses put money as much as I can in the HSA, invest it, get compound interest over time. Of course, there's no guarantees. You got to look into your investment options and whatnot. But over time, I could build up a very big healthcare account for either retirement or for later down the road if things really get bad or if I have big health expenses. You know, and I'll, I'll add, I think that is one of the most underused features of an HSA. A lot of people that I see have them tend to spend all the money out of them each year. And I understand if you need it. I mean, there's still tax advantages of doing that. But allowing that money to stay in the plan and grow and for use in retirement for oh, medical expenses in, I mean, you, it is it is a huge tax That's advantage That's a planning to tool that everybody Absolutely. should be thinking and about. I, and I think, I don't know if it's the flex spending account mentality, but I see a lot of people, you know, put money in it and then spend it out throughout the year. All which right, again, let's make sure we delineate between the different FSA, use it or lose it. Right. HSA, accumulate it. It's yours forever. It doesn't go away. You can actually invest it if you get to a certain account. You got to keep some in cash. But what you're saying is this is a planning tool, as Scott just said, for that person who's now 70 and retired. And medical bills, he could still use that on a tax-deferred basis. That's exactly yeah. right. And I can reimburse myself on health expenses today, even if they're 20 years from now. My biggest example would be like if I accumulated $20,000 in expenses over 10 years, and I just never took money out of my HSA, and I'm not saying you do this, but let's say I find a nice boat for $20,000, I can pull money out of my HSA, reimburse myself on the $20,000 I spent over 10 years, Tax-free, and buy that boat. Technically, did we say did we say that over the air? Buy I mean, I kind of did. My, yeah, you did. But yeah. at the same time, I'm just talking about bigger expenses that come up. I I'm understand. just giving the boat as a fun it, yeah, example. Sure. But 
if I build up all these expenses really later, in the HSA is enormous. Yeah. So even if I'm using it as retirement income, I may need a thousand dollars a month off of it to bridge myself between that and Social Security. Then if I have the health expenses to prove, as long as I keep the receipts, then it's all fair game. You know what I think, Michael, you're saying, and I think people need to understand that you're saying treat your HSA plan as a potential retirement asset yes. for your health care. Don't just don't just use it today, but because you're not going to lose it, you can build that and get to that point where it is a part. Scott led with that kind of thinking about it. That's what you're saying. Make it a part of your long-term plan, yes. your long-term strategy. Absolutely. And if you don't have health, ex- health expenses to reimburse yourself on, if you're 65 and older, you don't get penalized for taking the money out and using it for whatever, like the boat example. Well, so key difference there is I'm reimbursing on the part that's tax-free. If I'm not reimbursing and I'm just taking it out for emergencies, if I don't have any, if I'm not 65 or older, I do have to pay taxes on that money and I do get penalized from the government. So you have to be careful on how and when you use that money. That's very good. Saving strategies are, you know, the strategies for a health savings account are enormous and you just need to spend some time. If you miss part of this podcast, of course, you can find Talk Money, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe and we appreciate it. And Michael, you've done a fabulous job helping us get some insight into a confusing topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's probably right there with Greek and Latin. So you did a it's good close. job. Hopefully so, I made very, Engl- a little, I, little English. A little mm-hmm. English there, man. Very well done. Thank you, sir. Well, let's kind of go to the next mic. And he's sitting right over there, Mr. Daniel Orwin from the Better Business Bureau, literally here to take us always to scam school, does a fabulous job. You know, now, Daniel, I have to start off with this. We talked about, you actually came with the, when, when we were talking with Scott yeah. about charitable giving, and we were talking about just being generous and having that heart set, you know, where you we talk about generously giving as an outward expression of a heart condition. And yet, scammers step right into that heart condition and take destructive measures to destroy that mindset. Yeah, and I'm I'm often asked, do scammers really use events like this to deceive people? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. Uh, Whenever there's a major humanitarian crisis or a tragedy, there are two things that you can count on. Um, The generosity of people wanting to give, but also people that are there to take advantage of the situation. So, making sure that your money goes to a competent relief organization that's equipped to handle the circumstances should always be a concern. Now, what you're talking about is, of course, the North tornadoes that we've had all in right. the Mid-South, the problem, the horrific, this terrible shooting in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, those are things that it's headlines, it's headlines, you're, you're drug into it, you're, you're part of, it's just our natural tendency. Well, we're overwhelmed with right. not only the images, but we're also overwhelmed with all these different ways to give money, right? You, you see the commercials, you hear the radio commercials, you're on social media and you see all these, these different platforms that you can give. So how can you tell uh, which charities and fundraising appeals to contribute to? Well, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Remember, established charities are much more likely to have the experience and the infrastructure to address the circumstances 
circumstances, whatever they are. And this is really key. They have a track record that can be evaluated. So we always say, man, you should really steer clear of any charity that was formed overnight in the event of a tragedy, because you just have no way of knowing where your money's really going. And you know, charity scams are not like other scams, right? A lot of times when you're scammed, you know you were scammed, right? Because you lost money. This is one where you're giving your money, your hard-earned money to someone on good faith that they're going to do what they said they're going to do with it. And in reality, you really have no way of knowing at the end of the day whether they did that or not. So we always say give to experienced charities that have a track record that you can evaluate and you just gives you peace of mind that your money is going to where you want it to go. And that's good advice. And just knowing how to vet that. I mean, they can call you guys. They can usually go in and look at, you know, just vetting a charity is not as hard as you might think it is. And so people need to do that. But now let me ask you this. I mean, I I know how to do that. I'm thinking people understand that. They pick up the phone. What tips do you have is when when it's that you are telling people they need to think this way when that's happening. Well, we, we talked about it a second ago. Donate to experienced groups. Support experienced organizations that stand ready to provide quick and effective assistance and be cautious of those that form overnight. And here's another one. Be weary of 100% claims. Watch out for claims that 100% of the donation will go directly to relief because remember, most organizations have overhead and so that may not be true if they're telling you all of your money is going to relief. You just want to ask, right? Yeah, you just want to be clear. Because, you know, I would think, well, I want all, you know, I want the highest number possibly. And now I'm looking at one that says 100% is going, right. well, that's, it's kind of like, well, that's what I should do. I want all yeah. the dime I've got. And that's just a part of the scammer's work. Right. And, and again, not necessarily a scam, but just know where your money's going. Right. Ask questions. And this is a key one. Watch out for advocacy organizations because tragedies that involve violent acts with firearms can also generate requests from a variety of groups that address gun use. Donors can support these efforts as well, but just don't get confused that your money's necessarily going to help victims of tragedies. Um, a lot of times there are political organizations that also fundraise after gun tragedies, good or bad, you know, contribute however you want to, but just know that there are also organizations out there that aren't giving money directly to families that have a political agenda that are going to be advertising pretty heavily after there's a tragedy. And then also, crowdfunding sites are used to help share the stories of those in need. Just be really careful. Most people don't understand that just because you see something on a crowdfunding site doesn't mean that it's been vetted. Again, you have no way of knowing whether that money is really going to where those people that have started that fundraising appeal is going to. So just make sure you ref- review the policies, pla- the, the pro- platform's policies and procedures and watch out for vague appeals that don't really give a, a good description of how the money is going to be distributed. And then also make sure that you have respect for the victims and their families. Organizations and crowdfunding postings that are raising money that are using the victim's name and likeness should always have permission. Yeah. And so a red flag would be if you're looking at an organization that you've never heard of that's all of a sudden using pictures and names you just want to make sure that they're using it with permission and again most legitimate organizations aren't going to just put people's names and pictures out there so that would be a red flag and then just verify trustworthiness the easiest way is you can give us a call at the Better Business Bureau let us verify it for you you don't have to do the work we can for you that's great that's a great thought too Better, better, Better Business Bureau Daniel Irwin he, of course, uh, is the, uh, the the public relations director. 
Daniel, I mean, I hate to think that we have to manage that. I mean, I hate to think that we just can't automatically give. We're just telling people to be cautious. Yeah, and I'm not telling you not to give. I'm saying do a little homework, right? Um, Just before you write the check, think through it, maybe make a phone call. But here's the thought. Now we're talking about charitable giving, but the reality is now we have somebody who's got storm damage. And at the thought that all of a sudden storm damage can create scammers. Yeah. And 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 that's, I mean, here I am a victim of the storm and somebody's pulled up in his truck or his car and he said, I can tell me about that. That's critical. Well, whenever weather impacts an area, historically we see a a, a flux of, of sometimes they're out of state, but they're fly by night contractors and scammers. We call them storm chasers and they, everybody knows what I'm talking about. They usually go door to door. They tell you that they can trim your tree for a, for a discounted price or they can do all these things. And, and just they're preying on your vulnerability. Now they may be scammers or they just may be contractors that have come down from out of state, but it's still a concern. And this is why, right? Just because because somebody has the competency to do the job doesn't mean that they're licensed in the state of Tennessee. Now, you could take the discount of the guy that's from Kentucky that's come down and he's knocked on your door and he said, hey, look, I see the damage. I'm so sorry for your loss. Let me get up on your roof and repair your roof and hey, I'll trim this tree and all this stuff and I'll do it for this price. Well, they may be a licensed contractor in Kentucky, but they may not have the right competency license in Tennessee. And so they get up on your roof, they do the, the, the immediate repairs, but then down the road, when you get another contractor up there to really fix the roof, he could have done it wrong and you've got no recourse because you don't know how to track this guy down, right? right? So just know that those people are out there. Um, and keep in mind uh, as well as that reputable contractors in, in the wake of a storm are not going to be knocking on your door. They're going to be backed up. So you're probably looking at a scenario after a horrible storm like we had in Wynn, Arkansas, or in Covington, Tennessee, where you're probably going to have to do emergency repairs first and then get on a wait list uh, to, to have to have the, the, the other stuff done, right? So some things to, to keep in mind, you want to make sure that who's doing the work is licensed to do the work where you are. Just a reminder, in Shelby County, Tennessee, uh, jobs under $3,000 require no competency license. That's considered a handyman, right? So that means anybody can do the work under $3,000. Jobs over $3,000 but under $25,000 require what's called a home improvement license. Okay, and jobs over $25,000 require a a general contractor's license. So you should be asking the questions. Okay, hey, I see that you quoted me $3,500 here for this work. Do you have a home improvement license? Oh, you do. Great. What's that license number? I just want to double check that with the state of Tennessee, right? So always be vetting. You want to let them know on the front end that you're an informed consumer. And when you do that, the chances that you're taking advantage of of, uh, greatly decline. So let them know on the front and you're an informed consumer, vet them properly and make sure that you have everything in the scope of the work. You want everything in writing. So if there's any discrepancy later, you can address that quickly. And then also you should never be paying more than a third up front. Uh, Please don't pay more than a third up front. In fact, there's actually licensing requirements within the state where they're not supposed to take more than a third up front. So if you're dealing with a contractor and that's happened, you can report that to the state of Tennessee and don't pay cash. 
I know that you know there's there's a debate on whether you should be using credit cards, but in a situation like this, you want to use a credit card because you have more recourse. Let's say that uh, you pay a third up front. The guy starts the work and then he says, "Hey, I got to go get some more gas real quick. I got to go to Home Depot to get a tool." And then he just never comes back. Well, no sweat. All you got to do is dispute that charge with the credit card company. So, uh, and just make sure you're getting everything in writing, but vet people before they work on your house and also be checking that insurance. You want to verify that they have insurance. You don't just want to take their word for it. And again, it's a huge red flag if a contractor won't show you proof of insurance or won't tell you what his license number is and where he's licensed. Wow, that's critical. And you talk about also insurance, your own personal insurance. Check with your own insurance company. See what they'll say about it. Yeah. And and keep in mind, you know, that's a great resource after a storm. You know, most insurance companies are going to have lists of companies that is just going to make it easier. And they've already vetted them and they're, they're companies that they use. So you can trust that. And again, if you're not checking with your insurance company, check with the Better Business Bureau, check with a friend. Also, don't wait until a storm to know who you're going to call. We always recommend that you have a go-to person, know who you might call uh, if you have damage, because you're going to be so vulnerable. You're going to have a million things going through your mind after a major storm. And always emotional. Yeah. And so you're just not going to have the bandwidth or the capacity to necessarily see the red flags. So have a plan in place before it happens. That's a great, great way. And Daniel's telephone number at the Better Business Bureau is 901-759-1300. That's the Better Business Bureau. You don't want to not just not call him. That's what he's there for. Make sure that you know what you're doing before you make a charitable gift or you hire somebody to fix something that you have damaged during this storm. We just try our best. Daniel always does a great job. Daniel, thank you so much, man. You do a fabulous job taking us to scam school, but also managing and helping us keep our emotions in check. Well, I've got another segment. Our producer, Maximilian, is here to talk about money talks. And um, he does a fabulous job. And we want to talk about richest characters in history. Max, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, and I'll do a minor correction. It's richest characters in fictional history. Okay, fictional. I thought maybe we might just move it up to history, but fictional characters, uh, fictional history. All right. I'm interested, man. Tell me what you got. And here we are. So this is based off of a study that Forbes used to do back in the day called the Fictional 15. And their net worths would be best estimate based on um, a analysis of the fictional character. It could be from their source material, but it could also be where possible... They base their value against um, a real known commodity or share price movements. And so off the air, you guys had some pretty good guesses as to the who the top people were. All right. Before you do that, now this is fictional characters. And I guess this is from anywhere that we've seen cartoons. Classic literature. Classic literature. Anything that's fictional. Yes. All right. I'm excited. All right. You so guys ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm ready. All right. We're, all, we're playing this. This is I'm, great. I'm ready. All right, All right, here's the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, uh, it's Jay Gatsby from The Great Gatsby, and his net worth was only $1 billion. And I say only $1 billion because um, uh, when we get higher up on the list, things get a little bit more ridiculous, let's just say. And so we got Mr. Monopoly, who's number 13. He's at $1.2 billion. Um, uh, I bet you could kind of guess that. Um, uh, funny enough, um, uh, another person that um, uh, I remember Scott guessed, Richie Rich, um, uh, off the air, 
He's only at number eight with $5.8 billion. Oh, that's pretty oh, good. That's yes. pretty good. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I you know, think, you know, that's, that's I mean, who I think of. Yeah, you know, that's, the that's, cartoons you know, back in the yeah, 70s and that's 80s. That's right. Rich. I might have done that, picked yeah. that. Right now, I'm not doing very well. So far, none of these would have been. I'm feeling pretty good. I got number two. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, right. So far, we have, and it's the ascending order of ridiculous. We got number seven, and that's Bruce Wayne from Batman. He's only yeah. at $9.2 billion. And then we have um, uh, Tony Stark, um, uh, only $12.4 billion. He's number five. Here's where things get a little bit more interesting because this list is not limited to humans. The last two. Okay, now wait a minute. That's, whoa. Uh-oh. All right, the last two. Uh, you know, we got, you got just a second here, but they're not humans. Okay, but that My means guess. they were fictional characters. My guess was Mickey Mouse, but I'm, yeah, I didn't, after thinking about it, I was like, Bugs, no, he's, no, he's Bugs not that Bunny rich. didn't no. have money. Okay, I, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't guess number two. The you list is much longer. Oh, okay. so, yeah, guess right. yeah, right. yeah, it's got to be Scrooge, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, let's do number two first. I'm a drum roll, please. There you go. Um, uh, number two was Smaug from The Hobbit Stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. He acquired his wealth by marauding, which is $5.4 billion. No, $54.1 billion. 54.1 marauding. Marauding. That's yeah. why he got it dishonestly. He done, I'm yeah, not sure. he's a crook. Smog. Is, yeah. is that Smeagol? Um, uh, Smaug. Um, uh, Smeagol is a little bit different. He's the um, uh, he's Gollum. Smeagol was uh, the original name of Gollum before uh, he was corrupted. Yeah. Max is an expert on this. I, know, I, I, I used to know it, <laughs> but I forgot. You know, what does he do in his free time? Uh, Who's number one? The suspense okay, is killing. I'm, I'm yeah. ready for number one. All right, number one, you got it correct. It is Scrooge McDuck. He there got his go. wealth by mining, and he has $65.4 billion. Wow. Still a little bit of a miser because, you know, his name is literally Scrooge, like Ebenezer Scrooge, so he's the duck form of Scrooge. But, you know, he's a little bit more of a savvy businessman that Smaug than Emma because he just stole all of his wealth. Right. But that uh, would anybody have picked Scrooge? I mean, Scott, I, I think they we did. threw that when, one When out. he said it wasn't a human, I, I Well, figured, that's true. Yeah. When you throw it out that way, you get And that. he swims in his money, too. That's that's the key right there. I think, yeah. You can you know, swim in your money. In, I feel like you're pretty rich. That's a fact. That's a big fact. All right, guys. Well, we've had a fun time doing this program. Max, thanks so much for helping us go through that process and doing that. uh, Thank you for just guiding us through those fictional characters of what we see in history. And I wouldn't have guessed Scrooge if we had started out, but uh, Richie Rich, I'm impressed. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Daniel Orwin, Michael Powell, Scott Jordan, and Maximilian. They've all done a great job. If you want to talk to Daniel, you can call him at 759-1300 or Michael and Scott, 757-5757. If you have questions, send them to Jim to the text line, 901-683-0989. Next week, Scott Jordan's back with some fundamentals again. Shannon Dyson taking control of your company's health care expenses. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9 a.m. Thanks to our producer, Mr. Maximilian, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Roseworthy, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. We're here for you each and every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., Securities Dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.